One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Phil Craig. And I'm Andrew Loney. And together we aim to bring you the most scandalous stories and some of the most scandalous people in history. So thanks for joining us here on the Scandalmongers podcast. Well, back to the Royals. And what a week it's been for the Royals. I mean, tragedy, mystery. Um, what's going on, do you think? I don't know, actually. Uh, yes, we're back. We are actually, we're, you know, we're still doing our two shows a week. And uh, this show is going to be all about Kitty Kelly, who was who's very much concerned with the Royals and uh, and lots of other amazing stories and people. Um, yeah, I mean, amazing investigative reporter, very much an inspiration for me. So, um, well, her, her thing is, she's a bit like you, isn't she, Andrew? I think you um, you said the other day you thought you saw yourself as a sort of Norman Baker figure, but I think I see you more as a male Kitty Kelly. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Well, that's that's the nicest thing you've said to me for months. Well, the point is, it's unauthorized, isn't it? Her, all her work. Yes. It's very much unauthorized and troublemaking and sometimes scandalmongering. Well, um, it's the truth often. And and I think what I find so extraordinary when I do my books, people say, have you other people approving of this book? No, they're not. I mean, they probably wouldn't approve of it, but that's a good reason to do the book. It shouldn't be shaped by rich and powerful people. So she is an inspiration, and and I wish there were more biographers like her. Well, uh, amen to that. Amen to that. I'm looking forward to talking to her. But uh, but you're right. This we should talk about the roles. We've we've covered them so much. Uh, it's it's very weird what's happening. I don't know if you saw our friend Richard K. He had a piece. Uh, I did, and he's today. very and 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 very interesting. What the palace have been saying to him too. Well, I mean, he, yeah, he's he's very well connected, isn't he? We know that. Shall I read a little bit? Yes, absolutely. People haven't seen it, because I think a lot of this stuff is now behind various paywalls. Um, he says, a king fighting cancer, a princess stricken by an unknown debilitating illness, and a vanished prince with no explanation, all have contributed to a febrile and dangerously unsettled atmosphere. AIDS insists it's not a crisis. But one anonymous, quotes, long-standing courtier said, it's not a crisis yet. And he said it, with distinct discomfort. What does yeah. it mean, Andrew? Well, I think, I mean, the, the thing that struck me as most interesting is William was meant to give a reading at the a funeral this week uh, to for his godfather, and he called off at 45 minutes for personal reasons, which, of course, is going to set the cat on the pigeons. 
Uh, and what could those personal reasons be? Um, is there some problem with Kate? Is there some problem in their marriage? Um, you know, the, the social media has gone wild on this. It would have been so much easier just to say he can't be bothered to come or he's well, busy or he's ill or whatever it is. But it's very it's unusual, isn't it, for, her to, for somebody as high profile as Kate to be absolutely out of the public eye for now. It's over two months. Uh, yes, with no information. You know, that's yeah. their job. I know she's ill, but it's a bit weird they haven't had like a, a photograph of her with the kids, you know, recovering at home with a cup of tea. That's what they'd normally do, isn't it? Well, they're normally very good at managing, controlling the media and giving them a few little tidbits to keep them happy. Uh, and there's nothing there. I mean, we've also got the sad news that um, Thomas Kingston, who died uh, this week, um, uh, seems to have committed suicide. Uh, and so, you know, th- you kind of feel everything is pouring in on this family at this particular time. And maybe we should give them space. I mean, if you look at the comments, people are saying it's none of our business. But as you say, you know, we pay for them as taxpayers. They are the sort of fulcrum of the nation. And if they're not there, there is a void. Um, well, and and your friend Prince Andrew was taken off the reserves bench and put in front of the cameras again, which is uh, something I wouldn't have predicted a few months ago. No, no, he's a great comeback kid with, with Fergie. I mean, he was loving it. Uh, he, in fact, was meant to sit in the second row, and he pushed himself into the first row. He, he's he's a prince of the realm, you've got to remember. But the frightening thing is that uh, he is, I understand, third in line now when the Prince of Wales is not there and the king isn't there uh, uh, in, because of, of the fact that the others in line are under 18. So uh, I think Harry must be ahead of him. But we've got Harry and Andrew in pivotal positions, still as councillors of state. Uh, and if there was some sort of crisis, then these guys would be we would be running the show. So I, I think this is getting pretty serious now. I mean, we're hoping maybe soon to have some royal commentators who might know more than us. The other yes. thing I learned yesterday was that the king's illness is not as serious as people thought. Um, so why aren't they saying that? Why not just come clean and say what it is? It, 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 it's, it's creating sort of more problems than it needs to have. And it's the same problem with records. You know, if, if, if you keep things secret, people assume that there, there's something sensitive there. How oh, interesting. Well, you, you know the criminology of the royals better than anybody. Um, but we should probably, yes, we should probably get Valentine back, maybe, to talk to him. About yes, well, he's very good on all this, and 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 people are talking to him. And I'm just amazed there haven't been leaks, at least from from courtiers, from you know well-connected journalists getting stories. It's been very very tightly controlled. Yeah. Um, there was a story also a few months ago about how royal medical records had been hacked, and they'd paid the 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 um, uh, blackmailers to, to to close them down. So that there's, there's a lot of strange things going on that I don't think we we're, we're clearly getting the full picture on. All right. Well, back to today. We did promise something, didn't we? We promised a prize. Yes. Yes. Uh, is it the mug or is it the T-shirt or do they get a I, choice? I think it's the mug, Gus. It's that, they're easier to send to people. Right. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, I think we decided between us, had a little bit of a chat, that our, famous, our favorite comment of recent weeks was by Rachel Marks. Rachel, if you're listening, Rachel Marks 3865 on YouTube who, like us, loved the Andacosi interview. And if you've not seen it, it's a total treat. You really should see it. Um, and she was uh, on here talking about uh, Lord Snowden and Princess Margaret. Anyway, Rachel saw it and just said, very simple comment, is anybody going to mention that this amazing, sharp, vibrant woman is 97 years old? 
what a cool cat. Man, I want to be like her when I grow up. <laughs> yeah, no, that said us all. That's what we want to have, cool cats on the show. Well, I loved her comment, uh, Anne's comment, that uh, one review said that she wrote filth, but elegantly written. Yeah, we can all aspire to that, I think. It's really good. So, Rachel, if you're listening, um, we need to be in touch with you so we can get your address. I think the best way is to email us. You can, you can do that. Just look at the um, the bio at the bottom of the program, and uh, you can email us through um, through our production company that does all the uh, the work behind the scenes. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, uh, uh, we know we've spoken before about popping up in slightly unusual places on the charts. But one of them was New Zealand, which we've been in the charts, the Apple charts there, quite a lot. So Lee Kappa has written to us from beautiful New Zealand. Um, and uh, Lee's dyslexic and, and doesn't um, doesn't do much reading as a consequence, so he listens to a lot of podcasts. But he said, uh, hi, um, I think your take-up in New Zealand is because Jay and Dunk on the Rock Drive Time show listens to your pod and talk about you. And that's how I found you. Do keep up the good work, lads. I really enjoy listening to you rambling on. Rambling on, he probably means. <laughs> rambling, rambling is what we do. Delightful honesty and compassion. Cheers from a Yorkshire old boy, just like me, from Yorkshire. Oh, so, great. Isn't that great? Gosh. So Jay and Dunk, I'm not sure what your normal demographic, but thank you very much for mentioning Yes. Um, yeah. we are well, I know we'd like a bit more coverage um, uh, from, from the media. Um, and we always love hearing from the readers and, sorry, listeners to, 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 to what they like and what they would like to hear in future. Because we've got uh, an intelligence series next week, next, next week. Uh, on the this vassal case. This week, it's. I don't think every week has to be themed, but this week we've no. got two biographers. We've got Kitty coming up, and then we've got our dear friend Laura Thompson returning for a third time uh, to talk about Agatha Christie, especially the mystery of her disappearance, which she's yeah. done a lot of work on. And then the following week, we've got spies, and then we've got an awful lot of stuff. We, we still haven't put out the blood program. We must do that. I'm really sorry. Yeah. Talking about We've got a freedom information program. Um, yeah. with Martin Rosenbaum. I mean, there's lots, lots, uh, and, um, and more royals. There's always more royal stuff. Um, so yeah, we're turning to like a current affairs show, Andrew. <laughs> must bring back happy memories of your TV career. Yeah, well, there are a lot of very good stories at the moment, uh, you know, and in some ways, the post office scandal showed that that you know change can come. That people are, I think, also suspicious of elites that they're perhaps covering up things. I mean, there's a big inquiry at the moment about how the SAS may have shot um, innocent Afghans and Iraqis, uh, which I think we should certainly deal with at some. Well, we point. should because we spoke to Chris Masters about the Australian version of that same story, and there are connections. Yeah. Chris will yeah. know a lot about it. Um, I'd love yeah. to get Chris back. Um, and also, we keep promising, and we haven't yet done Robo Debt, which is a story that people in Britain and America won't know much about, but is really very much the Australian version of the post office scandal and similarly fascinating um, about how kind of people get crushed by a mix of kind of uncaring bureaucracy and, a, and this mad reliance on technology. Um, um, so that's. Uh, yes, that's, that's good. Cool. And Lady Colin Campbell has got an update of a Harry and Meghan book in a month's time. So oh God, maybe we, we, we get her back. Maybe we should do daily programs. What do you think? Just give up <laughs> yes. our books. Give up on the book and the day job. Yeah, well, if enough people listen, we could perhaps do that. But oh, God, no, I can't not bear it. Yet. I can't bear it. Um, uh, I think I might get divorced. Uh, sorry, Francis. Um, 
So, yeah. But it's interesting, the mixture of, of people listening too, isn't it? I mean, I think we had the figures. It's roughly a third America, a third Britain, and a third Australia and the rest of the world. Australia, New Zealand, Canada, actually quite a lot. Um, we had a few messages from Germany last week. I can't find them, but a couple of people said they were listening in Germany. Um, and we just passed, I think, uh, 325,000 downloads in a Gosh. year and two months, which I think Gosh, is good. that is good. So, yes, we will be celebrating in a few months' time with some of our contributors. Yes, we will. Maybe we should, maybe we should broadcast that. Oh, yes, live stream from the Chelsea Arts Club. All right. Well, um, do you want to we say... We should get on to Kitty. Do you want to introduce Kitty? Because, I, I mean, I know she's pretty famous, but you know her probably better, well, a lot better than I do. Yeah, well, Kitty Kelly, I, I think, is is one of the leading biographers of the in the world. I think she stopped writing now. I mean, very famously did a book on the royals. Uh, many years ago, which relied on, I think she said something like 800 interviews. And she's written about a lot of, of iconic figures in America, people that she feels are important. It's not just because they're celebrities. Uh, and she does have this great uh, ability to, to find people to talk who wouldn't normally have talked before and to give a very different view of the people who've created this rather sort of gilded portrait. Uh, so, uh, in some ways, in the tradition of, of Gerald Posner and, and Randy Tarabelli, but but Tar- Randy is is, I think, a much more sympathetic to his his characters. Um, I think both Kel- Kitty and I feel that these are big boys and they can take the heat. Yes, like you, she has teeth, but she's not afraid to use them. All right, that's that's a great introduction. Let's go talk to Kitty. Come in America. Yep. I think it's time it was- to compare books, isn't it? Compare our editions of the Royals. We're thrilled to have Kitty Kelly with us today, who's one of the world's leading biographers, uh, particularly unauthorised biographies, which I know from my own experience are very difficult to write. She's written about Frank Sinatra, Nancy Reagan, Jackie Onassis, the Bush dynasty, uh, uh, Oprah, and I think some interest to us, I think particularly, uh, she was one of the first people to write uh, about the Royals. And I suppose my first question, Kitty, is is how do you choose your subjects and, and, and why do you choose them? That's a good question, Andrew. I choose them because I care about them, because they're important, I feel, to our society in some way. They're not simply celebrities or stars. They're really people who infuse our society, our life, uh, in many, many ways. Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis, Elizabeth Taylor was sort of, she was the last star of a studio system that doesn't exist anymore. Frank Sinatra was not simply an entertainer, but someone who informed politics uh, and other things. <laughs> Nancy Reagan was a very powerful first lady. Um the Royals, of course, which was written years ago, uh, represent a way of thinking, not just in your country, but across the world. Oprah Winfrey was probably the last subject I did. And by unauthorized, I hope you mean doing it without the subjects, a permission, but also uh, without the subjects control. 
Absolutely. It's, it's something I'm very keen on. I think probably Phil too, that there's a historical narrative which is curated by these rich and powerful people. And it requires journalists and biographers to be a corrective, to, to say this is the real story. You know, we're not going to write all the guff that the PR people give us. We're going to make our own decisions. And I think you do extensive research. I've heard you talking about 1600 interviews sometimes for a book. Is, is that is that right? And is this based on your journalistic training, really? Both. Um, I found when I was the researcher on the Washington Post editorial page that it sometimes took hours and hours of research to give to the writers to write maybe a three-inch editorial. And I became quite aware of the industry and scholarship that was necessary to produce those editorials. And how do you do your research? I mean, do you, I mean, you know, do you work with records? Do you work mainly with interviews? Do you, I mean, how I much do both. can you rely on, on, on what people tell you and what do you read in the press? I mean, how do you verify everything? Well, I think you have to verify everything. I rely on interviews, but not just one person. I interview hundreds of people. I rely on, I tape record them when I can. Uh, sometimes I will check quotes with subjects. I, I'm just thinking of the massive research, police records, uh, freedom of information requests. Do you do this all yourself or do you have a team of people doing this? No, no, I do this myself. And I'm, I have had a research assistant when I was doing big, big biographies. But it's important to divide the work. I, I found a system that worked. I divide my files into subjects, dates, and people. Now, that's an immense filing system, but it was the only thing at the time. And that was before we had the internet that I could really keep track, keep a chronology of what was happening. And I did the chronology before I would do any interviews. And so that I would go to someone like yourself and I would ask, I would present my chronology and ask you about your experience, whatever the subject was. And we'd go from there. Gosh, I think that's how I work. I don't know about you, Phil. Do you do the same thing? Do you create in some ways the sort of the background from which you can sort of refer as you talk to people? I work in a state of complete chaos, as you can see on my messy desk. <laughs> uh, I don't have anything like your systematic mind, Kitty, or yours, Andrew. Um, <laughs> I would lo- I'd love to say, Kitty, it's such a pleasure to meet you. That I remember on one holiday just devouring the Frank Sinatra book and thinking it's not only one of the best biographies I've ever read, it's one of the bravest. I mean, you really went there in that book. And I think not only lawsuits were threatened, you must have felt personally threatened. Phil, I'm, thank you for the compliment. It was a tough book to write because Frank Sinatra sued me before I had ever written a word. He sued me for $2 million to keep me from writing the book. And he frightened, actually, my publisher because when I found out that I was being sued, I called my publisher immediately and they said, call us back when you have a manuscript. 
you don't have a manuscript. I said, I haven't written a word. I've only interviewed a few people. Consequently, I went to the writers groups that I belong to and asked them for their support. I felt it was a First Amendment issue. You can't sue someone before he or she has written a word. Afterwards, yes, but not before, just to prevent them from writing. And so a group of writers banded together, and they had a press conference, and they denounced Sinatra in his lawsuit. They then contacted Bill Sapphire at the New York Times. The Washington Post published an op-ed, and it was really a matter of writers' rights. And after that kind of support, no matter the fear, I felt I really owed it to them to keep going to write this book on Sinatra. And I did. It took and four I, years. And in, in the end, did he withdraw his lawsuit? Did he, he did. Ever- he did. Uh, he kept it going for one year at a cost to me of $100,000 in legal fees. But he finally dropped it. Although I must tell you, I was represented in California because that's where he filed his lawsuit by O'Melveny and Myers. And I said to them, uh, at one point, Sinatra claimed to have a tape recording of Kitty Kelly misrepresenting herself. So all the lawyers came to Washington and we listened to the tape recording, which was so obviously a fake that it scared me that somebody would go to those lengths to curry favor with Sinatra. And I asked the lawyers, what do I do to protect myself? And they said, tape everything. Well, you know something? This was in the early 1980s. Tape recorders were huge. You couldn't tape everything if you were in a restaurant, uh, glasses banging, noise in the background. And so I decided with every interview I did, I would write a thank you note. And I would say, dear Phil and Andrew, thank you so much for the interview that you gave me. I did not have a chance during that time to compliment Phil on those glasses. They were really spectacular. And Andrew, I love that blue sweater you wore. Take care and thanks again for your interview. I would send you that thank you note. It would be dated and signed, and I'd keep a copy of it in my files. That way, four years later, when my book came out, and you might want to step away from what you told me at the time, I would have that note. And you might deny talking to me, and a lot of people did. They did on the Bush book. They did on the Reagan book. But I would have those letters. That's so and how do you persuade people to talk to you? Do you have to go back to them time and time again? Do you work through intermediaries? No, I don't. Well, no, I'm pretty direct. I call you, Andrew, and ask you for your time, tell you what I'm doing. Sometimes people will say no. I'll call back and say I just have a couple of questions. Um, probably one of the very most difficult interviews I ever had to work for was Senator George Smathers when I was writing Jackie O. And Senator Smathers 
was one of John F. Kennedy's very best friends, socially and politically. And he kept turning me down. And finally... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, his secretary helped me because she was really feeling sorry for me. <laughs> I think. And he said, find out what she wants she gets one question. And so I called Senator Smathers back and I said that the question I had was regarding the 1956 presidential campaign when Kennedy was, was nominated for vice president and didn't get it and went away with Smathers to the south of France. How did Smathers get Kennedy to come back because his wife was to, because Mrs. Kennedy was delivering a baby. He agreed to see me. He said five minutes. Our interview went for about three and a half hours, and it was startling to me because this was the first time a Kennedy intimate had ever gone on the record to talk about John F. Kennedy and the other women in his life. So the book was controversial. I fully expected Senator Smathers to, if not deny, back off. And when the Washington Post called him and asked him about the interview he'd given me, he said, I think I've just been run over by a dumb-looking blonde. <laughs> the, we, we, we spoke to uh, Randy Taravarelli not long ago, and he was telling us that he often finds stories that he knows will show his subject in a bad light. And very often he doesn't use them because he wants his readers and indeed himself to quite like the people he writes about. I have the feeling you might take a slightly different view about things like that. Well, no, I have to tell you that I start out these books when I was writing them filled with admiration and respect for the subject. Absolutely. But you don't um, hold back maybe quite as much as other writers would. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I've heard you talking about the royals. Have your view of the royals changed as you got to know them better? Yes. <clears throat> the royals I wrote, what, 30-some years ago, and it was published, I think, two or three weeks after the Princess of Wales was killed in that motor awful 
car accident. Um, I look upon British royalty kind of the way I look upon the papacy. And I think it fulfills the same role. For those who support the monarchy, they have to believe in it. They look up to it. It inspires them. And the same way for Catholics who look up to the Pope and the papacy. I think they're very, very closely related because they're intermingled. Both try and separate themselves from politics, of course, but they're not. But in some ways, then, I mean, the, the whole point about the monarchy, as you say, is mystique and not letting the light in. And that's the very thing that you're doing. Well, they are a human institution. and. I think they can stand it. Right. And did it, was there any pushback on the book? Did they try? Are and you just... kidding? Are you kidding? Well, I, I, it's a leading Are question. Are you kidding? <laughs> Do you think this book has ever been published in England? No. No, no, no. And is that just the, the just UK publishers being nervous of libel or just not wanting to offend the royals? Because, I mean, it's well, crazy. Commercially, I think that publishers make monetary decisions, and British publishers decided that it was not worth it to alienate the palace. It was not worth a lawsuit. They just couldn't do it. But do you think you would would have been they would have been sued, or is it just that they they wouldn't? Have I don't know. I, they wouldn't have been able to do nice tame biographies with with. Um, with the royal courtiers, you know, people being feeding them stories from the royal court. It's funny what's coming out now, years later, about the royal courtiers and those who, um, even how the palace plays politics with journalists. I don't know whether they would have sued, but it was not worth it to the British publishers to take that chance. And they didn't want to offend the palace. And I mean, do you think that might change now? I mean, after spare, I mean, clearly we've had, and what appears in the papers almost every day, you would think that perhaps there might be a little bit more um, uh, guts about doing a book of that sort of yours. No, I don't think so. I. It's interesting, isn't it, now that spare has been published, Um he gets a lot of raves in the United States, but not so in the UK. Do you find that to be accurate? Oh, absolutely. Well, it depends which paper. I mean, but I, I got the feeling that in the States that the, the, the sparkle is going away from Miss Markle. <laughs> um, I think that they're going to enjoy a very good life in the United States. And you will notice that Harry has not renounced his title in any way or his children's title. He keeps those. And that kind of burnishes his presence, I think, in the United States, particularly in California. Yeah, exactly. They're having the best of both worlds or trying to. But we get the feeling that people, you know, who were supporting them, the <clears throat> Some of the media companies are no longer seeing them as a, as a strong brand in in the way that Fergie lost a lot of her her sort of brand appeal because of some of the scandals in her life. 
I never did understand Sarah Ferguson's grand appeal. Um, and I think that Megan and Harry still have a certain amount of it. What, because of her race or, or just because they, they, you know, they were popular? Oh, no, no, no. Because of all that was, you know, they were part of the British monarchy. They aren't anymore. They're, they're figures of beyond curiosity kind of fascination for Americans. So they still have that um, breath of intrigue about them. Uh, Sarah Ferguson, not so much. Well, America, America was created in a rebellion against arrogant British monarchs. So you must, there must be some, something in the DNA of America even now that reacts to a royal rebel, which is how they've positioned themselves. We love theater. We love color. We love drama. And your monarchy gives it to us. That is true. And, and do you think writing as an American gives you a, a different perspective? Because I think you're one of the rare Americans that does write about the royals. Sally Bedell Smith, I think, is probably the other one. She seems to be writing particularly about I was going to say Prince Charles, it's hard, isn't it? After all of our years of looking at Charles as the Prince of Wales to realize that now he's got his mother's crown. Um, Sally Bedell Smith seems to be quite reverential towards the royals and quite respectful, which, which is interesting. It's a different um, tradition. Yeah. And for that reason, I think she's given entree. Yeah. Well, that's part of the lobby system that I talk about, you know, that, yeah, that if you play ball, then you will fed the tidbits. And if you don't, you've got to, to scrap about on the outside to get the, the stuff, which is what we both do in some ways. But yeah, I think no, no, no disrespect to Sally, who I've met a few times, and he's a good writer. She did take a view of Diana's mental health that I thought I don't take. And I think that may have pleased the people around Charles, some of the things that she wrote about Diana. She, yeah. she sort of took a side in that, in that, uh, at that time. Could you just elaborate a little bit on the film? Because I, I haven't, I'm not aware of what she. Well, it's, it's a, it's a very big subject. I wrote a biography of Diana too, and made a big TV series about her. And the, the question of Diana's mental health, you know, was a big factor in her life. And she wrote about it herself, struggles she had, but, uh, there was this suggested diagnosis that emerged in a slightly sort of opaque way uh, of borderline personality disorder. She was never treated for it. She was never diagnosed with it formally, but it became sort of known as a one explanation for her troubles. I mean, we spoke to many psychiatrists who said it was ridiculous. She could never have functioned at such a high level with such a condition. But Sally, you know, for whatever reasons, she went with that theory. And I suspect that might be one reason why she's getting the tidbits today. Just seems so unfair to the Princess of Wales. I think she was strong-willed. She felt injured. I think that she was playing with a full deck based on interviews that I did. Now, remember, the book I wrote was many years ago, but I can't subscribe to Sally Bedell Smith's 
No, I mean, if, if she was here, she would make a strong case, I'm sure. But I'm, I'm with you. I think, and we spoke to Patrick Jefferson recently as well, a private secretary is an old friend of mine. Um, and he said uh, she could never have achieved what she achieved if she'd had anything like that. And even towards the end, when she was quite unstable, she was so much in demand by everybody, businesses, embassies. I mean, she was charming. She was smart. She was funny. She was flirtatious. You know, um, Tina Brown, who saw her not long before she died, said the same to us. Uh, so I don't think she had I a agree. I totally agree. Anyway, there you are. That's a, that's and other subjects that you would revise, I mean, in the light of, of new information or rethinking them, that if you were to go back to those books again, you would have a slightly different take? Or you do you kind of want to move on each time and, and you feel you've, got, you've, you've nailed them? I don't know that I use that terminology, Andrew. <laughs> Captured their essence, maybe. Exactly. Sorry. It's very, very rude. <laughs> It's a tabloid, Andrew. <laughs> it is, yes. Um, I wouldn't change anything I wrote in the Royals. I might expand on it, but I wouldn't change it. I really, I spent four years writing the book, going back and forth from the United States to London to interview people while things have changed now and the monarchy is still the establishment in your country, what I wrote then still stands. And I I would stand by it. And what do you think makes a good biographer? I think you once said curiosity. Well, I think you absolutely have to have that. Um, and in my case, because I don't sit at the feet of my subjects and take those spoon feedings, I have to interview an awful lot of people and a broad range of people, not just those who work inside, but those on the outside, friends and relatives, um, associates. And so, you know, on some in some books, I've interviewed over 800 people. It's a lot of people. But it gives you uh, a spectrum from which to work. And presumably you can use some of those interviews on other books. There must be quite a lot of crossover, particularly dealing with the American political establishment. That's interesting. Um, well, we're now sitting here talking in 2024, and the political People I wrote about, the Kennedys, uh, even Elizabeth Taylor was connected politically because she married a United States senator. Uh, Frank Sinatra, of course, Nancy Reagan, the Bush family dynasty. <clears throat> but those, you know, the Bushes represented Republicans that really don't exist right now in our society. By that, I mean progressive, semi-liberal Republicans. It's You'd have to beat the bushes to find one. Mm. Yeah. yeah, well, in some ways, you captured an era, I think, in each of your books very skillfully. It's, it's, it's not just the subject, but the period that I think you do so well. Uh, can I ask one more question about um, Mr. Sinatra? Did, did, he, did you ever get any sort of feedback? Do you know if he even read the book? 
Did he ever send any messages through a sort of middleman or a middlewoman to you, or did he just ignore it? No, no, he didn't ignore it. His daughter, uh, Nancy, went on a tirade about it and said that the book that Kitty Kelly had caused her father to have a major surgery and go into the hospital. I do remember that when the book was published, a source who was traveling with Sinatra at the time took his hand, uh, his arm, and went like this and smashed all the liquor bottles in his dressing room when someone brought it up. He was quite aware of it. He was angry about it. And his daughters were extremely angry. And his son, Frank Sinatra Jr., denied giving me an interview. And my publisher produced a photograph of me interviewing Frank Sinatra Jr. People got scared, and so they would try and back away. Gosh. And do you have a favorite subject or a favorite book, one that you you look back on with particular pride? Yes, it's always the one I finished last. <laughs> well, that's good. It's a, it means that you're going in the right direction. Very true, very true. Yeah. But you've stopped writing now, is that right? I mean, you do a lot of book reviews, but but are we likely to see another book from you? I, I don't know, Andrew. Um, biography now has probably because we're in a 24-7 news cycle, um, that writing about people who are alive is a bit difficult. Not that it wasn't difficult at the time, but I approached each subject with really knee-bending respect for their accomplishments, for who they are, for who they were, how they achieved what they achieved. Because in my view, each one was exceptional in some way and influenced our society in some way. I don't know. Sorry, is there someone that you wish you had done that, you know, perhaps it's too late now or it was too difficult to research? I can't think of anyone. How about you? You're a biographer. Tell me. Sorry, I'm just going to let that phone go. Go on, Andrew. Who do you wish you'd written about? Thank you, Phil. Andrew, have we lost you? Sorry, that's my phone phone going. Because um, I, I couldn't switch my phone off. phone number on our records. <laughs> there we go. For more information. Sorry, Andrew lives in a different century, Kitty, to the rest of us when it comes to technology. <laughs> he hasn't quite mastered the idea of the voicemail message. <laughs> but he is about to buy a fax machine, so he's moving forward slowly. We're calling to alert you about an unplanned local power cut in the SWW. I wish I could just turn Kitty, you're getting to hear about power cuts in southwest London, so it's been quite a morning. For more information. <laughs> oh my! Yeah. Hopefully, we've gone. Sorry about that. Uh, no one right, ever reads it. Carrying on, Andrew. <gasps> Who would you like to write about? <laughs> Andrew, you have to answer the question. Come on. I'm going to be hit by a blonde truck. I N C. 
just trying to turn this thing off. Seven one four hyphen J. Due to the structure of the electricity network, not all properties. This is really the high point of my life as a podcast. <laughs> if you're not currently affected, we don't oh, have any problems. Well, Kitty, we may have to end it. <laughs> oh God, I'm going to pull the thing out. But if I pull the thing out, we're going to lose something. Oh dear. Why don't you come off the call and rejoin if you want, Andrew? Twenty-four hours a day. 365 days a year. I'm going to come off. I'm so sorry. That's all right. I think I'll wrap things up. 105. We are all... Oh, dear. I don't think we'll see him again. But it was such a joy to meet you. Thank you so much. And I'm a massive admirer, a big fan. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, And if you meet up with Andrew, see if you can... You can find out what he's working on. Uh, well, I know what he's working on. He's working on a book about Andrew and Fergie. Ah. Uh, he's finding it quite hard because, guess what? The royals are not helping him, obviously. But That's he's got all some, right. He's looking in particular at the financial side, especially the money that Andrew may have made on his travels as a so-called trade envoy. Oh, wait a minute. We may not have lost him. Hang on. Things are happening. Andrew, are you there? I'm here. I'm so sorry, Kitty. Uh, yes, what am no, I? I was just no telling apology. Kitty about your new book. My new book? Well, I mean, yes, Andrew and Fergie. So all the problems that you've encountered in the past, I'm discovering myself. So the problems of people not talking, um, the fact being told not to talk to me, the deference around the royal family still, uh, and... Um, it's just taking me a lot longer to write than I'd like, but you—you've been an inspiration to me, so I'm going to keep keep going. There's a good story there, but a bit like you, my the, the nearer you get to the royal family, the less, shall we say, sympathetic one is towards them. But they are, you know, important figures, and it's important that we we hold them to account. Well, since you're doing the financial side of it for the most part, uh, that will be quite interesting. Yes, I mean, you know, the problem is they're very good at hiding their finances, but but um, absolutely, I think there's there's a strong story on on Andrew's time as a trade envoy, which hasn't really been covered. Everyone's got distracted by Epstein, and I think there's a more important story about the abuse of of, of royal privilege. That's a book I'll read, Andrew. I, I will send you a signed copy. It's the very least I no, can I do. I think Andrew, you should be asking for a quote for the cover. <laughs> well, she has. She very sweetly has given me quotes um, on things. Oh. So, yeah, well, it's been wonderful talking to you, and we so appreciate it because you've been a great inspiration to biographers, and I know have done so much good work with bio too, uh, encouraging a whole new generation of biographers, really, uh, and the autobiography. And when you come to London next, Kitty, we want to take you out for a boozy lunch. You promise. Yeah, we so, promise. And we'll honor. All right. And I think right. Phil might even send you one of our coffee mugs. Oh, yes. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> In the post, with the check. Uh, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Scandalmongers podcast. This has been a podcast world production. You can get in contact with our show by emailing team at podcastworld.org, placing Scandalmongers in the heading, or via our social media links within the show's bio.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.